You're listening to Halfway There, Christian Stories with Eric Nevins. This is episode number 145, featuring Caesar Kalinowski. Well, hey, my friends, welcome to another episode of Halfway There. I am so glad that you've joined us. This is a, going to be a great episode. I know that you're going to get something out of our conversation today. Before we get to that, I want to tell you just a little bit about what's been going on. It has been a fabulous weekend. I'm recording this Sunday night, uh, June, I don't know, June 16th, I guess, um, right before it comes out on a Monday morning. And this weekend was really fun. I'm going to tell you all about that. And then uh, introduce you to our guest. So yesterday on Saturday, had our very first ever Christian Podcasters Summit. And I've been telling you just a little bit about that. Christian Podcasters Summit is an event that I decided to hold for the people in uh, my Facebook group, which is Christian Podcasters Association. If you are a podcaster and a Christian and you're not in there, uh, you should look us up on Facebook. Just search Christian Podcasters Association. And we'll get you in. And uh, we'd love to hear about your show, help you do what you do better and take it up a level, take it up a notch. Well, that's what the whole conference was about. We had speakers talk about how you get great guests. Um, I talked about how to streamline your guest process. I talked about, um, or other people talked about how to get great audio, things like that. And um, it was really good. We even learned about Twitter parties. In fact, I'm going to be adding a Twitter party uh, not not necessarily for halfway there for Christian podcasters, but um, uh, it's going to be good. So I'm going to add that to my weekly uh, activities just to start to use Twitter a little bit more um, because I think uh, it's a tool that I need to understand. That's what uh, what the conference was about or par- parts of it. So that was really fun. And here's the thing for me, what was really gratifying, um, I just want to say a public thank you to all of my speakers because you guys really rocked it. So I'm just going to put a list of thank yous uh, and links to everybody's podcast in the show notes for this episode. So if you're interested, looking for some new podcasts, um, that would be a really great place to go and connect with uh, some of my favorite new podcasters. Okay. So today is Father's Day 2019. And so for Father's Day, um, one of the things I'm into is barbecue and the Denver Barbecue Festival was going on this weekend down at Mile High where the Broncos play. And so we signed up to volunteer and we spent a good chunk of the day, let's see, two to about six, so four, four or five hours, something like that. Um, just hanging out with um, Joe's in Kansas City. They're from Kansas City. And they were making uh, pork belly bites. So a little pork belly, I got to serve some of that. And it was super fun. We had so much uh, fun, really some good times. Um, just meeting a lot of people, getting to taste some ribs and some different kinds of things. Um, I love barbecue. I think barbecue is one of those foods, uh, with, no matter what meat you're eating, um, it just tastes awesome. So that was, that was super fun. And thanks to my wife for taking us there. Do you like barbecue? I'm just curious if you do, um, you know, tweet me, uh, at, uh, just, you can do it halfway there pod and let me know. I would love, love to hear that. Okay. So today, our guest, before I get to our guest, one last thing. I want to let you know, if you like the show, if you enjoy it, once again, uh, remember that you can go out to Patreon, go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit the support button, go to Patreon. If you support it, just $5 a month, not very much at all. You get an extra conversation to have that ready to go out this coming week. Um, And... You're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it. It's with it's with uh, Keith Giles, who was a guest a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago now, um, talking about his book Jesus Untangled and why Christians need to be out of politics. This one, uh, we talk about um, the difference between worshiping Jesus and worshiping the Bible. I'll play a, qu- a clip from that later. Um, but very very fascinating conversation, and uh, you can get it. You can get it if you're a Patreon um, su- supporter, and for just just for five bucks a month, that's it. 
Then also, if you are a Patreon supporter at the $25 level, um, I'll send you a free t-shirt. So I would love to do that in whatever uh, size and color you would like. It just says halfway there podcast on it. These things are cool. I'm excited about them and would love to send you one. So if this podcast means anything to you and you want to help keep us running, it would be wonderful if you could help us out in that way. Okay, let's get to our episode today. Um, Our guest today, he's an author, a speaker, and a coach. Um, He's a discipler, and I really love some of these stories that he tells us. It just um, really emphasizes the um, value of having a community the value of engaging with people and uh, and just just what discipleship really is. That's an interesting question. Maybe it's not as clear-cut as we'd like to think. Our guest today is Caesar Kalinowski. Caesar, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, Eric, it's really good to be on with you today and uh, meet some new friends, some new brothers and sisters out there. Yeah, it's great. I am so excited to talk to you because I know you got some really cool things going on. And uh, like I said, we've just been having fun already. So um, the challenge I, is what to talk about because <laughs> I really have lived like 11 teen lives. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. More common, I hope. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we'll hear about what God's doing, but to share with us a little bit about what you're doing right now and where God has you. Well, um, kind of like in your intro there, part of what I do now is I coach and I, I write and I just I try to put out content that will help people know how to make disciples in everyday life and really live out their faith um, in, in the, what we call it the 622, you know, like we're, we're maybe with the church for a couple hours a week there on Sunday, but what about the 622, the other six days and 22 hours? And so that's mm-hmm. kind of been what God's put on our hearts for a long time. We, we uh, we're church planners for years and years now. We help people plant churches. And um, and so, yeah, it's just creating more and more tools that will help people articulate the, the good news of the gospel into everyday normal life, not as a presentation per se on how to get out of hell or get your ticket punched to heaven someday. But like, did the kingdom really come? When Jesus says it's finished, yeah. like, what did he mean? Like, is there good news for now and our marriage mm. and my kids who are driving me nuts and right. my job that's, you know, falling off, you know, yeah, there is. And um, turns out that the good news is still really good news. And so that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing. And and we also have a podcast, the Life School Podcast, and enjoy the heck out of that. Of all the different things that I've published and produced and put out there, I, I am enjoying podcasting, man, a yeah. lot. <laughs> it's fun. What, what do you like about podcasting especially? Well, um, I think I, I like the format in the sense that it's a little longer because for, for mm-hmm. a long time, for years, I put out weekly videos and I would try to keep them five or six minutes and still have value. And I think they were, and we got a lot of downloads and still they're just crawling, cr- cruising out there. But I always felt like, whoa, that's not a lot of time <laughs> to yeah. say anything. So when all of a sudden we had, because our show is about 25 or 30 minutes, we try to keep it kind of a workout length, you know, or a drive to work length. Sure. Um, I feel like, man, I got almost almost like a sermon length of time though. We, we, I do it with my co-host Keith Hollinsby and it's kind of a conversation really. And, um, it's about how we make there again, make faith and life fit together. So it's not weird. How do we talk about anything and everything? But I love the format, uh, just because, um, we also seem to have a very engaged group of people that are following the show and you know, they're on Facebook with us and I hear from them every day. So I'm loving the immediacy of that, even though it's, it's a weekly show. It's yeah, it's a blast. Yeah, fantastic. I think it's a lot of fun, um, you know, just to have great conversations like we're having today, like meeting and just networking with people has been yeah. amazing. I used to work at a bank and I never wanted to network there. Imagine that. But uh, <laughs> here I'm like, oh, this is this is actually I'm finding people that I want to talk to. So uh, <laughs> right. and you're one of them. So that's you're great. A guest, you have a guest driven show. We have guests on but about, about yeah. once every four or five weeks. So yeah, it's not cool. It's not guest every week. I don't know if I could do, and we don't have to go too far into this, but I don't know if I could do like a content where I'm creating content every week. I think that would take yeah. a lot, but I really enjoy asking questions and connecting people. So that's why we do this. Awesome. Um, okay. So that tells us a little bit about where you are now. Let's go back in your story. So those 11 T lives, let's start, uh, start at the <laughs> beginning and like, was it, where'd you grow up and what was that like? Was it, you know, did you go to church? Were you one of those kind of church families or what was it like? Yeah, I, I've been I've been part of the church and going to church since like I was a fetus, literally. <laughs> nice. My mom 
carried me and every Sunday. And we, I just grew up and we went to church on Sunday. My dad, not so much. My dad was what we call a creaster, you know, <laughs> right. Christmas and Easter. That's when he'd go. Usually not both. It would be a big year if he did both. It was usually one or the other. And, uh, but sometimes my mom, because she worked second shift a lot of the time growing up, uh, she would sort of drop us off and then my dad, she'd go to bed and then my dad would pick us up. But not if she was awake, she was there with us. And um, so, yeah, kind of went my whole life and um, uh, said the Jesus in my heart prayer uh, a trillion times because uh, the faith practice and denomination that we were connected to uh, really believed that you can lose your faith, uh. <laughs> which... You know, and, and that maybe some of the listeners still do uh, or lose your salvation, I, I should say more accurately. But um, so we were always praying the prayer, <laughs> but there was no discipleship. There really wasn't. There was no grounding in like, so what's the good news for now and today? And it was like, it was kind of like you said the prayer. So you, if you really meant it, you got your ticket punched. And what Christianity is now as a lifestyle is try to sin a little less while we wait for Jesus to return or you die, you know? So right. Whichever comes first, but it's a big deal. Don't sin. Sin less. Just try to sin less. So our Christian life was about behavioral modification. And um, so that, you know, as I started becoming a teenager, Eric, that that wasn't so fun. That wasn't really good news for a young, <laughs> long-haired rock star or wannabe rock star. And I yep. was a musician and, and for a living for years and years. And so it was like, what? I don't know. But I kind of still believe. And so even early on, like in my late teens, when I was like, gigging and I worked at a Harley Davidson dealership for eight years. That was like the best gig a teenager could have. <laughs> no place. joke. The worst than some other. Um, but literally I would, I could be selling you a bag of marijuana or something. And, but then also talk to you about like, Oh, Oh Jesus. And that, Oh, that's real. Like you need to, you need to say that prayer bro. Cause you're going to fry. Like, let's just deal with that. Uh, you still owe me 35 bucks. You know, it's just like, it was really <laughs> weird. There was no grounding or discipleship. So um, I kind of had faith in who Christ was and what he had done on the cross. But because there was no discipleship in that, in that particular church community um, or not that I could recall or remember, yeah. um, it didn't really ground in daily life other than don't sin, try not to sin, you know, yeah. you're blow it. You know, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to start over. I'm like, eh. you know? right. Which so, I think very different than what I believe in experience of grace today. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to get to kind of how you've grown in that because I think a lot of us get stuck in that season where, um, I talk, I talk about the, um, sorry, I'm kind of backtracking here, but I, I talk about the four stages of the spiritual journey, right? So there's like this journey of meeting Jesus and you met Jesus kind of just growing up. Then there's this journey of learning Jesus, right? And so during that time, a lot of it's defined as how, how much we know and how much we do. And it sounds like your, yeah, yours was, right. Yours was exactly just emphasis on how much you do, right? So whether or not you're sinning or not. And, and, and we've now coined that as like, do equals be. That's a lie. Like what you do does not equal who you are, your identity, your value, your right. worth. What you do does not equal who you are. If if the gospel's true and Christ completed it all and we're in Christ, then then we're forgiven and it, it is finished. And that's really good news. Right. <laughs> For this guy, it is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, okay. How did you start to learn? So you said there wasn't much discipleship. How did you start to kind of, when did that happen for you? When did you start to like dig into yeah, So, so jump ahead. And I, I, um, I'm not really going quote unquote, going to church. That's like such bad theology. Church is an hmm. identity. It's a family. You can't really go to church. You can go to the building where the church hangs. I mean, but I'm not going to church, um, for several years. And then, uh, but we're now married to my high school sweetheart and we have, uh, our son, Caesar four, because <laughs> that's how our family rolls. And now I have a grandson, Caesar five. It's oh, that's, wonderful. that's fantastic. But, uh, we have Caesar four and I'm, you know, like, whoa, I'm not really living a Christian life by anybody's stretch or de- description of that. And my wife starts becoming uh, friends with a, a believer at work who's discipling her actually kind of discipling her to faith. And, and she starts attending a church service with them back in the early, early, early Willow Creek model days. So it's at a, it's at a movie theater and everybody's in jeans and, and there's <laughs> acting and, and there's a kick and band, really. And so I checked it out and we dug it. And to make a very long story short, we ended up connected to that community and really heard a gospel of grace and lordship. And both on the same night kind of submitted to that and said, we want that from you, Lord. But the difference was that community was all about like living like a family and living with mm. discipleship 
Like it really was. And it was good news. It wasn't like stop that or you're going to lose something. You know, you know, it's like, now you know what's true of you and you get to live this way now. And, um, and that we did that for years. But then as we moved away from that location, moved to a different city, we found ourselves in kind of a bigger kind of mega thing. And that whole, you know, Willow world had grown up and some of that, that's what kind of church we were still connected to. Um, and it was, it, and then I started becoming vocationally a pastor and everything kind of got back to performance based. And for my kids, wow, under the thumb of that, you know, and my wife, hey, your father's a pastor, your husband's a pastor, you know, and it, it, it started again feeling quite sort of performance based behavioral modification on yeah. top of, well, yeah, you're saved, but, you know, spoken or unspoken. And then I end up finding myself as the missions pastor at a pretty large church. Okay. You know, leading trips and taking people around the world. And I was doing quite a bit of heavy missional stuff, like into persecuted nations and into war zones and where there was natural disaster and being with the church there. And I started having this crazy thing happen to me. I, the, the Spirit of God was every time I travel, he'd say, okay, you're reading the book of Acts this is your devotion for the next weeks or months, you know, while you're on the road, read Acts, read Acts. And I did it trip after trip for years. And every time I'd be reading the book of Acts and I'd be like, say in Sudan in the bush or something, or in Thailand with Burma, you know, or, you know, with the church, it was like this stark contrast of like, whoa, they live just like the book of Acts. They're like a family. <laughs> they are the church. It's crazy. They don't really have any money or buildings or stuff, but they have such joy and they are the church. And then by the miracle flight, I come home, I'd be home, you know, 24 hours later, and I'd be driving up this long, long church driveway, and there'd be guys with the orange cones and, you know, <laughs> flashlights pointing me to the back lot. And I got a chip. I'm like, I don't want to park in the back lot. I work here. I work here. They don't even, it's so big. They don't even know all the stuff. And, and I'm like, whoa, yesterday I was crying my eyes out, begging God to save this baby from dying of malaria. 24 hours later, I got a chip because I got to park, you know, extra hundred yards away from the door. And it was like, what? And then, we were putting on the big show and, you know, people are coming to faith and all, but it was like, whoa. And then I go back on the road and I was like, now we're being the church again. And then I'd come home and it was like, now we're putting on church services again. And that just got harder and harder. It got harder and harder to rectify those two lives. Like I loved our home church and I loved getting to serve and be a pastor. But we're, when we were out with the church, being the church, it was so different. And I was like, man, I want to give my life to that. Like, could we live that way? Like, you know how when people come back from short-term mission trips, they're like, that was the best. Like, man, I wish we could just stay there with you guys. You know, I'm like, mm -hmm. what if we did? <laughs> and so some of us and our friends, we said, what if we just lived like that? We were like, we're missionaries, man, but in the States. And some, some of our friends had moved from Chicagoland area out to uh, Seattle area. And we visited them, and they were starting to talk about the same things that we had been talking about, but live it. And so we ended up moving to Tacoma, Washington. And we were, my wife and I were some of the founding leaders of what became Soma Communities, which is uh, kind of a whole big family of churches now that sort of plant upside down. They start little pockets of friends and neighborhoods and make disciples and build family units like oikoses, like it says in the New Testament. Yeah. And then as those multiply and healthy things always grow, um, then that gets recongregated because there's, there's benefit in life to being the body together, right? So... So, yeah, so there was this big epiphany really was like, do we actually get to live what it says in Scripture or are we waiting mm. for some day we'll fly away? <laughs> the truth yeah. is, turns out you actually get to live that life now here in the States, uh, in Europe, in UK. And by God's grace, we've gotten to work and train in over 30 countries now. And it's, yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. Wow, that is incredible. OK, so this sounds like a pretty big, pretty big uh, realization. So take us like, for, cause you kind of skipped over it, but you became a pastor eventually. So, I mean, you don't do yeah. that on accident. So how did you, how did you feel like that was a calling or something place that you were going to go or, so, you know, I, I mentioned that was kind of this young rock star and musician for a living. And then when I, when I uh, had that experience, my wife and I together, where we really laid down our life for the Lord, I felt like, Oh, I shouldn't be playing the bars and, you know, singing these kinds of songs. And, and so I quit. Like, well, actually, I asked God if I should. And like the next day, painlessly, he took me out of the band. It was that's too long of a story, but it was like, whoa, that was a God thing. Gotcha. And then I thought, well, I guess I'm done with being a musician and now I'm going to just live my life and be that and go to church, you know. And and then uh, we we ended up multiple businesses. We had started some different things here, there and the other. And then at 40, we're probably eight or nine businesses into life at this point. At 40, I'm at a um, I'm at a conference 
um, what was it called? The summit, like the Will Creek summit thing, you know? Yeah. And uh, well, Bill Hebbles is saying, listen, businessmen, are, is God getting like your leftover energy? Is God getting your leftover passion and, and you know, creativity and all that? And I'm like, yeah, because I'm busy running these businesses. And I was traveling quite a bit doing really crazy mission stuff. And he said, you know, I want to call you to, you know, the, the, the local church. And I felt like it was like I was the only guy in this, you know, 5,000 person room. And then in the weeks to come, it was super affirmed. And so at 40, I was like, okay, God extricated me from a bunch of the businesses we were doing. And I really didn't have a job. And I was like, God, you're doing something right. Because <laughs> I said, yes, I'll be a pastor. God said, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, okay, I'm not one. I haven't been to school, but I will be. <laughs> yeah. And then our own local church, the, the pretty large one that we had been a part of and loved, um, they through <laughs> a lot of consternation to hire this kind of entrepreneurial world traveler guy. They actually hired me on to the pastoral staff and I was in charge of communications and ultimately mm. production. And then I ended up being the missions guy as well. So, so at 40, at 40 years old, serial entrepreneur, my kids are kind of mid age. They're like, I don't know, eight, 10 and 12 or six, eight and 10, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I find myself vocationally a full-time pastor. And then it was only three or four late years later where I was doing this back and forth, back and forth mission stuff and feeling, oh, gosh, can we, can we live like that all the time? And, and God led us out to the West Coast to do that with some others. And, and that's still how we live. We live like missionaries here in the States. <laughs> mm, wow. Yeah, which is, I think, very interesting, right? Because we, you know, we kind of are. So did you end up going to school ever? Like you, you mentioned that. Was, that. was that a... Yeah, so... So we're on our second or third church plant then, and I think third, and uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I, I, was, I was being invited to teach at this local seminary, and I was starting to teach with some regularity, and they were like, wow, you, we always have to have you teaching under someone else because, you know, you don't have a doctorate, and I'm like, you're right, because I've never been to college at all. I have a high school <laughs> diploma wow. and, uh, a, you know, a degree from the School of Hard Knocks, and uh, they're like, Whoa. So we got to catch you up. And so they customized a whole program for me whereby I could catch up and do my master's. Um, and while I was teaching there, even wow. you know, part time, and they kind of helped fund it through like, well, we'll pay you towards your tuition and other people helped. And, and so in, 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 a, in a much more condensed format, I was like the luckiest point in the world. I was able to get my master's in, in uh, ministry, but in global leadership. And um, I never did go on to do the doctorate after all. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just, I want to make disciples, not just study about it. You know, like I'm totally, <laughs> Oh man, I get that. I know every once in a while I think about it and I'm like, and then I look into it and I go, Oh, that looks like a lot of work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so interesting. So how did that help kind of change you and change your understanding of, let's say your mission uh, and, and how you understood the Lord going through that program? So I think the biggest shift, and this might even sound heretical to some folks, you know, still, I, I, I don't mean it to be, I'm not trying to be polemic, Eric, but the biggest shift I think was a couple of things. One was, um, you know, we all love this verse that uh, in John, uh, the truth will set you free. We love it. And, you know, Christians love to quote it, especially to win an argument. Well, you know, the truth will set you free. <laughs> um, but, but we don't read the whole thing. And if you back up and read the whole thing, and I'll paraphrase a little, but you know, Everybody knows this. Go look it up. Jesus is talking to uh, some folks and he says, if you'll be my disciple, in other words, walk in my ways and follow my teachings, then you'll be, a, then you'll be, you know, then you'll, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I was struck when the Lord, I know right where I was walking along a river when the Lord showed me this, like I read it a million times, but not the whole thing. If you'll be my disciple and walk in my ways, then you'll come to know the truth that sets you free. And it was like, oh, my goodness, we've got the order backwards. We try to get people to agree to a set of truths mm -hmm. that the scripture itself says is foolishness until they have the spirit. And then they say a Jesus in their heart prayer, you know, the one we never find Jesus ever doing in scripture. <laughs> and then they get discipled. That's what we say. But Jesus didn't say that. And I noticed then he didn't actually do it that way. He said, come and follow me. They walked in his ways for years. Matthew 28, at the ascension, it says the 11 who are still alive are there watching and some still did not believe. So I was like, whoa, wait a minute. That means a couple of things. 
That means discipleship, like Jesus said in Matthew 28, is in fact the mission to make disciples of people, not converts. That's God's work. And discipleship and evangelism aren't that bifurcated. They're not that separated. You disciple people, you lead them to walk in the ways of Jesus with you in your life, and they come to know the truth that sets them free. And here's the second thing that might sound heretical. The goal is not to get people saved or converted. It's to make disciples. And that verse where Jesus is talking about it, and people can check my, my hermeneutics on this, he's not talking global, get set free, avoid hell. Right. He's just saying, if you'll walk in my ways when it comes to, like, say, community and generosity and trusting dad is rich and generous and loves you, you'll get set free in the area of your money and finance. Most Christians, if not, we can see like three, three and a half percent, four percent of the church, even regular attenders tithe. So mostly they're not set free there yet because they're not walking in his ways. They're not living generously. We live the American dream life or, you know, the finished dream life or whatever. Yeah. You know? And um, so a couple things. One is, wait a minute, discipleship really is the mission. Helping people walk in the ways of Jesus. I want to do that with my whole life. I want them to join us as we walk in his ways so that they'll come to know the truth in this area, in that area, their identity, their sexual preference, their budgeting, their vacation, their retirement, their parenting, their you know, you know, marriage, all of it. So they get set free in those areas and walk in trust with him increasingly. That's what salvation is. Now, is there this global transfer and conversion that happens at some point in a person's life? I think so. <laughs> but it seems that Jesus' focus was on make disciples who make disciples and the saving was his business. And so that's why it sounds heretical to some, but when you tell people, yeah. listen, I don't know if this person's quote in or out, I'm going to treat them all like family the way Jesus did. And like he suggested and commanded us to do, and I'm going to lead them to walk in his ways. And we say discipleship is this process of helping people move from unbelief to belief in absolutely every area of life. Oh, helping amen. People move from unbelief to belief in every area of life concerning the gospel, who is God, what's he done in Christ, what's now true of us, and how we get to live. And so that, boom, the pressure was off. No longer did we were trying to cue up people with these tricky conversations to get them saved or get them to an event. But it was like, no, invite them to walk in the ways of Jesus with you in your life and help them move from unbelief to belief in the billion areas of life. Because, you know, we used to like, it'd be like this. I get a phone call, Eric, and someone would say, hey, man, so-and-so, they, they prayed the prayer and they got saved tonight. Yeah. Let's rejoice with the angels. And I'm like, stoked, you know, I am. But then I'm like, but I started thinking like, which part got saved? <laughs> you know, right. like, like I know, you know, like what we usually mean is like their atonement was settled. But yeah. are they saved in like their language or their attitude or their generosity or their finding, you know, their understanding of parenting or what the world, no. I'm not. Yeah. There's areas. If you hang out with me, Eric, for very long, you'll go, hey, Caesar's a pretty cool guy. Not exactly Jesus yet. <laughs> you know, I'm, we're still being saved. Scripture right. teaches us. And so, yeah, I felt like, boom, the pressure was off. You know, the pressure was off. Uh, I love that. Discipleship's happening all the time. And we're inviting people to walk in his ways with us. And guess what? It works. Jesus was exactly right. <laughs> right. Totally. To disciple that direction. It's very different. Right. Well, it's very interesting. I think theologically as Protestants, we get this very weird distinction between uh, justification and sanctification. Right. And they're, they're really both happening. They're, they've happened, but they are happening and they will happen. Right. It's, it's all kind of all at the same time. And let me, let me take it even a little further just to throw a little more sand in everybody's shoe. <laughs> what if, in fact, when it says in Scripture like a uh, hundred times that because of Christ, we've actually been made new creations. Right. And that we now have and are clothed in his righteousness, meaning from God's perspective, our sanctification happened at the cross. And faith is the working out of believing that and starting to live in light of what's true. There again, back to our definition of discipleship, helping right. people move from unbelief to belief. And so we say there's no should or shouldn't in the gospel. There's you get to or you need not. It's like you don't need to be freaking out about that or money or this or trying to control your wife or kids because you get to believe that God is great and he's in control. And so you can rest in him. So we tell people, quit shooting all over yourselves. Right. You know, there's no should in the gospel. If you hear should connected to it, it's probably law. And the letter of the law kills. And so we want, yeah. Jesus says, for freedom, I came to set you free. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Man, that's why I love Romans 8 so much. That is one of my 
all-time favorite passages because all of this is wrapped up in there. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then even later on, one of the you know, more, more famous passages, the whole thing about God works all things together for good. After that, he goes on and talks about all of the things that are already true of us, so predestined and called and justified and glorified, right? Interesting. How is that in the past tense? Because I, I don't it's know about It's already you. true of you. It's, it's already, already true. true of you. Right. It's true, even though it is yet to come. And so a God who is outside of time and bigger than time can say those things, and uh, we will experience them, but we are in the process even now. Isn't that really good news, though? <laughs> it's cool, yeah. Isn't that just... Like, isn't, I mean, here's what I tell people all the time. I said, well, you know, they say, well, no one wants to hear the gospel. No one wants, I'm like, well, wait a minute. What's the gospel that you're proclaiming? Because for many of us, we were taught a gospel that starts in Genesis 3, the fall. Yes. All have fallen short of the glory of God, right? And it ends in Revelation 20, judgment's coming. But we leave off Genesis 1 through 2, this beautiful, amazing, loving God who creates all things, including humans in his own image to be like him. And he walks with them in the cool of the day. And Revelation 21 and 22 says, and there's a day coming when he'll restore all people, places and things back to the way he originally created them. And once again, walk with them daily face to face. And so we're like, wait a minute, if you truncate off Revelation, I'm sorry, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21, 22, then your good news gospel is really, you suck and you're going to pay for it. Really, you know, because right. you're leaving off all the beautiful beautiful parts of who he is and what right. he accomplishes. So you suck and you're going to pay for it. That's not good news and people should reject it. Yes. We're surprised. Oh, they're rejectors. You've rejected the truth. It's like, no, that's not the truth of the gospel. That is just one right. little slice and we could talk about why that's not yeah, to- the dominant totally. voice, uh, for many generations, but it's not the gospel. It's not the full gospel. Totally agree. Totally agree. That when I realized that, uh, particularly in the end, there that God's goal is that we would be His people, right? He says, and I would, God will dwell with them, and I will be their God, and they will be His people. And you, and you start looking for that throughout Scripture. It's in the prophets. It's in the in the history. You know, it's in uh, Moses and all that. Like it's everywhere, and we have no idea, right? It's like, oh, that's that's what He wants. Okay. Uh, we, so we can't do that. I love the way you put that to cut off both ends. I've talked a long time about the Genesis one and two, um, but hadn't thought of it quite that way in, in the end. And that's, that's really insightful. I like it. Um, so tell us, say, I'll take you a little deep. I'll take even a little deeper in that story. There's okay. Two trees in the beginning, right? One right. And two, in Genesis one and two tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Guess what? There's still two trees at the end. Mm-hmm. But it says they're both the tree of life. Ha. Yeah. <laughs> that's the new covenant. I'll keep both ends of the agreement. You're covered. It's good. It is finished. In fact, the whole story says this. I don't know how we got so far from it. And then we, then we declare people, uh, you know, rejectors of the truth. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's tell the whole beautiful, bigger gospel. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So tell us how that kind of, like how you discovered this personally, like tell us a story or two about when, when you, when you had to realize, Oh, this is the gospel in me. Uh, you know, as you were learning, you're kind of discovering who, who you were, who you are. Well, I'll tell you, it, it was, it was later into uh, ministry than I would, would have wished. <laughs> yeah. I can remember feeling like, oh my gosh, we're getting born again again here. This is crazy. Like we're waking up to a much bigger gospel that's about all of life. We started noticing, uh, it, was, it was in the early days of Soma communities. We were planting our first, you know, church there, church community. And um, my brother and partner, Jeff Vanderstelt, some people know him as well, super smart guy. We were sitting around talking about so so much of this comes down to identity. And we started looking through the New Testament and, and Paul's, I think, I think every one of his correctives in his letters were always addressing, it wasn't like when he addressed sin, he didn't address it like, stop it. It was always like, this is now true of you. So you no longer need to live like this. He addressed their identity. And so we started waking up to like our identity, Mm -hmm. like what is true of us because of Christ, what God has accomplished through us. New covenant, it's it's bound and sealed in him, not in my effort or trying a little harder or whatever. What if I, oh, I slipped and I swore. Am I not, you know, I'm still a son, you know, all whatever. Right. And we started realizing that if you, we, are if, if we were actually created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then if we're all kids of the same dad, the same family, then the church really is a family. That's part of our identity. Like, what if we lived like a family? And then Jesus came as a servant. He says, I, I, wasn't, I didn't come to be served. I come as one who serves. And as I was sent, so I send you. And 
you know, we're servants. And then that I send, he breathes on them, sends them out. That sent one is missionary. So we started saying, whoa, our identity is a family of missionary servants. That's Trinitarian sent now as disciples of Jesus who make other disciples, filling the world with his glory. That's the purpose of discipleship, that the whole world would be full of his glory. Says in scripture, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus is the glory of the father. Discipleship is God's eternal plan to fill the world with his glory. And we started realizing, whoa, we have to motivate ourselves first and our wives and our kids. And then those we're leading and discipling out of their identity Mm-hmm. Then the implication of, wait a minute, if we're family, then let's live like a family versus, you know what you should do? You should have meals with people. You should get a badge and stand by the door right. and greet people because it's your week to do it. No, if you really see these as brothers and sisters you've never met before, you'd go up and talk to them. I, I always I just tell people, right. like, why do you need a <laughs> greeter ministry with a badge if, if it was at your house on Thanksgiving and you're sitting at the table and you look you across just- and there's some guy that you've never met before, would you just be silent, hoping someone else? You'd go, hey, brother. Hey, buddy. What's – yeah? welcome. Why are you here? I'm glad tell, you're here. Tell me you about know, you. You'd right. figure it out, you, you know, so. Yeah, so how did that become personal for you? Like how did you – like, you know, was there a time when you went, oh, that's what that means? Or how did that how did that go? Well, we were, we were already trying to live out of what we saw in the book of Acts yeah. too, you know. Like we were really like sharing our households and sharing our money and sharing our food and resources – and we really were living like that, but it was not necessarily, we were sort of doing it because we saw it versus it was coming out of the implication of our identity. Mm-hmm. If we're really brothers and sisters, and so are those who yet don't know it because of what Christ has accomplished. Like if we can look at them as having the same father, bearing the same last name, like Paul says, and he's talking about the Greeks, you know, not the Jewish, you know, then what if we actually believed we're family and treated everybody like family? And that starts to change how you live. Yeah. And we live, we still do open door, like. People stop by all the time. They get to. They get to. Um, can, can you tell us a story that, about when somebody we're did truly that? truly servants, we're not looking at stuff in life and in our neighborhood and going like, that sucks. Someone should do something about that. You're going, right. whoa, why did God give us the ability to notice that? And that sucks. We get to do something about that. Or Father, are we the ones who should do something about that? Because sometimes there's more need than you could ever totally. you yeah. know, help with. And, then, and if we're missionaries, that means it's not about us hanging out as much you know, together and just learning a bunch of stuff that we're talking about, but it's always about going and making disciples. And so who are the next brothers and sisters that God wants to invite to the table? And do we, the implication of that, if we're sent ones, if we're missionaries started to change us where, and we saw rapid growth because we were never, we were never content with us and none more, you know, kind of like, well, you know, I hear people say, well, we have a closed small group. What do you mean? Yeah, we don't let anybody else in. There's no close sign in the kingdom of God. That doesn't make sense. That's not, you know, please don't call it a missional community because missional in community means mission, discipleship community. There's no closed sign, you know, ever. Right. Or we take the summer off. Like, no. So if you're truly family, you go, it's my brother. That's my sister. That old lady across the street. That's like my mom. That's like my aunt. Like, there's no way we're letting her suffer like that or be alone on this holiday. There's no way, you know, you know, or look at her yard. Let's go fix up her yard. Like we get to, you know? Yeah. And so the implications started dropping on us and we're pastoring and, you know, leading and multiplying communities, but all of a sudden the motivation shifted to a gospel right. an identity because of the gospel. Well, is it out of that then flows? Yeah. Well, is there a story of when you did that and it, it kind of had a profound impact on you? Like when you, when you were sharing something oh or when you, so, or, yeah. So many, brother. I don't even know. Like, I mean, I mean, I can tell you, I, I, I mean, that, that's our life. It's, it's all day. It's every day. So, I mean, I'll give you the story, an example of, so in our neighborhood uh, in Tacoma, where we first were doing all this, I just lived right around the corner, like five or six houses from uh, Jeff Anderstelt, and we were doing this together. And there was all kinds of people around us that were part of the community and some were part of it, but not yet believers and all that. And uh, we shared everything. Like, literally, we open door, keys to everybody's houses and garages and cars. I mean, we just lived that way. And um, we shared a, we shared a lawnmower. And so every, every week it, we stored it in Jeff's garage. I didn't have one at first and we built one eventually, but, um, and I would walk, you know, out my door, a couple houses, turn the corner, a couple houses, turn the corner at his house. It was just bloop, bloop, five minute walk, two minute walk. And I would pick up that lawnmower every week. Then I'd walk back with it. And then when I got done cutting my grass, I'd walk back past those same neighbors and drop it off. And then I'd walk home. So four trips every week. I start running into this old guy, Hal. His name's Hal. 
He was really, really old, like a million, you know, and <laughs> green oxygen bottle hoses, you know, oxygen up to his nose. Yeah. Right? And I'm, he, I'm talking, I start to talk to him when I walk past all these days, I'm starting to get to know him just a little. And one day I said, Hey, your rock wall here in the front of your house, you know, his plantings, they were all like tiered rock walls. I said, that's amazing looking, man. My yard is like a big weedy slope. There's like the houses in Tacoma are kind of up, you know? And so you have a weedy slope or you have to tear it somehow and plant that. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh yeah, I know where you live. I know, yeah, you do have a weedy slope. <laughs> I said, I need something like your rock walls. He goes, well, I built those myself back in the, uh, you know, 80s, 90s. You know, I was, uh, I brought those rocks home from work. I stole them a little at a time in my trunk and I built all this <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, it's funny, right? I said, well, I need something like that. And he said, well, I got a whole bunch more in the back I need to get rid of. They're yours if you want them. So I did a little math on the, uh, on the uh, you know, statute of limitations or whatever, you know, on stolen rock. I'm like, we're well past that. Okay, I'll have your rock. You know? Are we going to be okay? So I started building relationship with this guy. <laughs> and then I started realizing, wait a minute, I could cut this guy's grass for him because he was mostly just cutting the parkway. And, and, and down front, and he had a he had a, one of those orange plastic lawnmowers that you have to plug in, you know, and the blade width's like 10 inches. It's just horrible, you know, like not yeah. a real lawnmower. And he would haul it down all those stairs because his house was set up, uncoil a 100-yard orange extension cord just to cut that three-foot-wide, you know, path of grass in the front. And I said to him, I said, how? Geez, I could accidentally cut that just by leaving the mower running on the one direction and then leaving it running on the other second pass, I wouldn't have to do a thing, you know, uh-huh. because I'm thinking I'm a servant. This guy's my old brother. This is my uncle. You know, he's really old. And he said, Oh my gosh, that would be amazing if you would cut that for me. Cause it literally takes me an hour to cut that two second thing. By the time I drag this mower up and down the stairs and this, you know, extension. And so that was like the beginnings of a long, long relationship and a million stories I could tell you about how and and then his wife and then the people that knew him and them better than us because they had lived in that neighborhood forever and the kind of reputation you get when you're a servant and you start and it, i don't tell the story to be altruistic yeah. it's just like but if you see your identity as like christ a servant then you start to look for opportunities to glorify him to show the world what he's like like jesus is amazing and if you've seen him you've seen the father so we're his disciples now if you see us you get an idea what he's like and so you don't see it as a hassle you see it like Thanks, Dad, for that opportunity. Right. And the same with meals. When you have an open table and people get treated like family, but not like guests. You know how you go to someone's house, you're like, man, they are so good at hospitality. Everything was so clean as a pin. I couldn't touch. I didn't want to touch anything and took the shoes off and they wouldn't let us help. And don't need, can I bring anything? No, no, no. We got it all. And can we help clean? No, no, no. We got it all. It's like, that's how you treat guests. That's not how you treat family. Right. So come over to our house. I'll put a broom in your hand. I'll say, could you run this out, this trash out to the garage for me? (laughs) Hey, I forgot this for the salad. No kidding. Could you run and get, you know, treat people like family, not like guests. And guess what? They'll actually act like family. And they'll be curious as to why, you know? And so out of the implication of being a family of missionary servants, our true identity, Trinitarian identity, all these implications roll. And it's really actually quite reproducible in others. if, If once they begin to believe their identity. Yeah, right. that's that's a fantastic quote. Treat people like family instead of guests, and they'll act like family. That is a huge insight, friends. I love that. So, I mean, if you need one thing to take from this episode, from this conversation, from Caesar's story, uh, that might be it right there. I mean, treat people like family, and they'll act like family. Uh, okay, so that was exactly what I was looking for, because I wanted to know, like, it's one thing to talk about. I think it's, it's easy to talk about being the church in that way, right? But it's a different thing when you notice yeah. it, right? When you do. Uh, I'm curious, though. Hey, you want to hear some more stories about how and how God did some crazy stuff we never would have guessed? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. You want? You yeah, want sure. Okay, so so Hal's wife, Gail, comes over one day and knocks on the door. Not unheard of. You know, we saw her all the time for parties and all, all kinds of stuff. And she says, hey, I'm going out of town for three weeks to California. Would you mind looking in on Hal once in a while? He loves you. You know, he loves you being around. I said, well, of course. And w- do you want him just to stay here? No, no, no. He's good. Do you want us to take him meals or have him over for dinner at least? Like, no, I got a million things and he's good. Just check in on him. So, okay. See how it goes. So one day I'm there checking in on him in the afternoon, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. He's not coming. I can see his car's parked out front. He hardly ever leaves. He's old, man, super old. <laughs> and finally he comes to the door. And he's wearing these little kids pajamas, you know, like the, the sort of like Woody, you know, ones in Toy Story. You know, they got the cowboy piping on them, you know, and everything like that. And he's 
he's got super look of pain on his face. And I go, how? What's up, brother? It took forever to come to the door. Are you okay? And he's like, I, yeah, I am. I am. I, I, I can't even stand. Come in. I just, I can't stand here. Just come in and I'm so much pain. And I look down and his feet and his legs like are just like what I can see sticking out of the pajamas. They're just swollen to the point of like they're cracking. And there's goop and blood coming out of him. Like, what the heck? He goes, come in. I can't even stand. So we come in the house and, and I've been in his house many times. And he had this literally a full tavern built in his basement. It was nuts. But he takes <laughs> me up to his bedroom. Sounds fun. First time I'd ever been up there. Yeah. We get up to his bedroom and he flops down on his little single kid's bed. And I go, I, I guess him and Gail are at that age where they slept in different, you know. And, and I said, what's up with your feet, Hal? You get around fine. Why, why are your feet exploding? And now, like, he's laying on the bed. I'm sitting there. So they're right there in front of me. And I could see him. And it's nasty, bro. Like, they are pussing out. His. <laughs> and I'm like, what has happened? And he goes, well, I have this, you know, I have this uh, condition called blah, blah, whatever. And, um, but there's this special ointment that Gail puts on my feet, you know, all the time. Mm. And then it doesn't happen. But she's out of town. And I can't reach my own feet anymore. So I'm looking at the feet and then I go, really? And I'm looking at his feet and it's nasty. And then he points over onto his <laughs> oh, dresser. No. Yeah, that lotion right there. Some ointment, you know. Some oh, brother. Prescription. And, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at his feet. I'm looking at the bottle. I'm looking at his feet. And I'm like, well, got to go. <laughs> and so I know, love Jesus. Like, call but not a double this much. glover, Eric. You're like two sets of gloves needed kind of thing, you know, like. But then that day I got to like I get to I got to butter up house feet with the secret sauce you know and then yeah. un- until she got back that was what i got to do for my brother wow and jump way ahead in the story many many other things and hal actually passed okay i mean years later hal passed he was and old it was a very sad thing you wondered like god did we have all the conversations i'd hoped to have and where's he at and we talked about everything man and you know started taking him out like to the restaurants like trying to treat him like i would treat my own dad you know and my dad lived across the country and like months and months and months and months after he passed, we were doing a training for church planners and um, a church planner from like four cities away, you know, like 20, 30 minutes away comes up to me. He goes, Hey, I live in so-and-so. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I've never been there, but I know where you're at. And he's like, he says, do you know a guy named, you know, Mike something or other? And I'm like, I don't think so. And he goes, well, he knows you. And I'm like, okay. Do you know how <laughs> he goes? I think you knew his dad in the neighborhood. Wow. Long story short, it was Hal's son. I had met him once, and he had seen me a couple times cutting the grass, this, that, or the other. He wasn't around much. And this guy was starting a missional community in his neighborhood, you know, going to make disciples and treat people like family. And, and, and this was this church planner's neighbor. And the guy says, you know, I don't really do church or any of that kind of stuff. I don't really, I don't, you know. But there was this guy and these people that lived in my neighborhood that treated my dad so well. And this is what they always talked about. And if this is what you're doing, then we're in. I want to be a part of that. Wow. I want to live like that. Wow. And it was, you never knew. You know what I mean? Like, who would have known? And so living out of our identity and letting God be God and the Spirit guide us, like, what's next, Lord, in each thing? He's at work like crazy, and the pressure's off. You don't, we, we, you know, when we coach, we tell people, you don't need the master plan, the next hundred steps to disciple this person or build a community out or even plan a church. You just, you know, the master, he has the plan. All you need to know, Eric, is what's next, Lord. (laughs) Yeah. Like, don't tell me 10 things. You'll scare me and I'll forget eight of them anyway. Just give me what's next. I'll do that. And then I'll come back and say, and now what's next, Lord? And you'll be surprised. You live out of your identity and trust the Holy Spirit to guide what's next steps. How much happens? And there's no freaking pressure. There's no weirdity. (laughs) Right, right. Wow, that's amazing. What a great story. Okay, so I want to ask this question. Um, and it might seem like it's out of left field, but I have a reason for asking it. So have you had, since you, since you've either been living this way or really, um, you know, kind of walking with Christ, have you had a time when you felt like I was far away or distant or when you maybe weren't sure about trusting him? Well, I think like everybody, man, my wife and I will live with doubt, uh, connected different aspects of our faith and our relationship with God and with our community and all that. I mean, I gotta be honest about that there again, back to my definition of discipleship. It's this process of moving from unbelief to belief in every Mm -hmm. year of life. And so I, 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 I can honestly say that I have not had any doubt in my life probably ever (laughs) of like, is God real? Did he send his son? Like not those kind of doubts, but I will get into seasons where I'll go like, I doubt his provision. So I'm stressing out over income mm. or, you know, I, relationships start to look like dollar bills versus relationship. Um, or my job 
I trust it for my provision, not my dad, things like that, or relational provision. Um, you know, or I try to control things because I, I forget I, I I'm in the moment, I'm not believing God is great. So I think I have to be in control of the situation. And so there's doubts like that, or, or like, I have fear of man. Like, I really want Eric to like me. I really want Eric to like me. And so in the moment I forget God is glorious. So I don't have to fear Eric because God's in Christ is way more glorious than Eric. <laughs> and God loves me completely and perfectly. And he, and he proved it at the cross. And so sometimes I'll forget that though. And the fear of man will creep in. And I'm like, man, Eric's a cool guy. And he's got a big network of folks. I'd love to be connected to him better and learn from him and get to know some of his tribe. And so I want him, he's glorious to me right now. It's like, uh, so it can happen. Right. So those are the kind of things I would say at this part you know, and point in my life, I don't doubt my salvation at all. Mm-hmm. I really do believe it was finished at the cross. Even before I understood it, it was finished, you know, long ago. Yeah. Super and it's, important. It's, it's when my faith, my trust, that's another word for faith. When my trust and belief in what I already know to be true of God and what he says is true of me in Christ, I'll forget that. And that's why I believe that, discipleship and life happens in community mm-hmm. because my head will know it. I could write about it. I, I could tell you which chapter in my third book it's in, but in my, in this week, ask my wife how my attitude's been around X, Y, or Z living in unbelief, brother, living with some doubt. Yeah. 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 You know? What I thought was interesting is this idea of um, redoing or moving from unbelief to belief. Cause one of the things that happens with the dark night of the soul or the spiritual desert is we sometimes get some beliefs that we question whether or not God is good, right? We question whether or not he is actually there because we don't feel that he's there. And or is uh, he great enough for this? Like, God, you're great, but you're right. my help in this. And I don't think I'm up for it. So right. Exactly. I suck at being God. I suck at being God. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I try all the time, but I'm not I very good at it. I suck at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. So I think that's an interesting point to put on the, uh, the dark night of the soul and the, the kind of, the ways that that happens, you know, it's not that insight is not going to get somebody through a dark night of the soul. They're going to have to, uh, you have to go through it and see, but it, it does kind of put some things in perspective. I think that's valuable. Let me tell you where maybe it helps in community with others. If someone's going through the dark night of the soul is if, and, and we, we teach deeply on this, we call it gospel fluency. If you can help a person understand the thing behind the thing, Mm-hmm. What is the point of unbelief about who God is? What's true of his character? Like, and you can say, well, I know that's all true of him, but I'm not experiencing that right now. We go, okay, second, second thing let's look at. Where have we seen that be true of God in scripture? Anywhere at all. Let's just, let's just do the study. Let's look, or just from memory. Well, you know, like his, his provision, let's say people are, you know, going through the dark night of provision, you know, wherever. And it's like, well, you know, um, Look at how he provided manna and this and all, you know, I mean, a gazillion stories, right? Then we'll go to the, I'll go to the third question. I said, well, where have you seen God provide in your life in the past? Maybe in some miraculous ways, maybe in some real normal ways. And most people have them. Or you can, in community say, you know, there was a time when this, and we thought no way impossible. And then this happened. And then this person offered that and was like, oh my gosh, God, right? Yep. And so then you rehearse that. So what's true of him? Where's he proven it in scripture? Magnified at the cross. Everything's like, boom, explanation point at the cross. Where have you seen it in your own life? Now, what does that say to be true about you? If, if God's that way and he's done this and proven it, what's that speak into your identity, your authority, your privilege? Oh, oh my God. And that's a hard question. But when people start going, no, you know, it is true of me. I'm a son of the father who owns it all and owns the cattle on a thousand hill. And I'm, I'm, you know, I have a father who is generous to the point of sending his own son on a rescue mission that cost him his life. I mean, <laughs> right. Okay. So then if that's true of you and then you can live generously, even in the face of not knowing where his provision comes from and routes itself, then how do you get to live or respond? Helping people walk that journey, brother, is, is the beginning of helping them walk out of those valleys because yeah. on paper, they know it, but the rehearsing of what's true of God. What's he done to prove it? So it's not just a oh, good idea. I guess it sounds like God, but can we prove yeah. it like in scripture and in our own life? Totally. And then what's it say about our identity and how we now get to choose to live? I'll tell you, we've, we've just seen people go from death to life, you know? I mean? Totally. I think that's so true about particularly experience. And so I've come to this place recently where I mean, when I started the show, I, I started to think about experience and how important it was. And that's why I asked for experiences and stories in your own life. Mm-hmm. But 
I've come, I've started to put even more emphasis on it as a, because I think it's not just, um, overlooked, but de-emphasized as in the evangelical church. We're like, Oh, it doesn't matter. But Faith's up here. Right. Right. It's all up, up in the head. head, but really so much of our faith is based on our experience of God. And so like I wrote a, I, I'm writing these eight day uh, experiences for people where, and I did one on John two, where Jesus turns the water into wine. And I just thought there's so much experience in that. Like it's, it even says in, in the end in verse 11, he says, um, the disciples put his faith in him because of what they, they saw, right? They saw his glory and they put their faith, they trusted because him. Because of a couple hundred gallons of wine. Right, right. What? But even That's in there... saying about what he thought dad was like. Right. Well, and Mary shows up and she asks, she's like, hey, they're out of wine. Like, she just goes, I don't know why, you know, why are you talking to me? And she doesn't even question it. She just goes, do whatever he tells you because she's had an experience, I think, with <laughs> Jesus doing this before. The experience really matters, and uh, I think that's true in, in your life. So what you're saying, yeah, I totally agree with. And you know what? You can't live that experience in isolation, can you? No. no well, you, you can, but it's more powerful if you, if you do it together. It's, we're made for that. We're made for that. I think so. I mean, yeah. if we're creating the image of God and he lives and exists in community, right. mm, that speaks into how we were created to live. Right. Well, so tell us about... Um, you know, some, some more about kind of bring us up to speed on your books and your, your speaking and, and all of that here. So uh, a few years back, wrote a first book called Transformed, um, like a new way of being Christian, who we are and how we get to live. And it was really just the story of how, and kind of what we've been talking about, how we, you know, why did we move from our hometown to a West Coast city that we didn't know any, you know, two people in and, and start to try to live like missionaries? And what did that look like? And then we wrap, I wrapped that whole story around the experiences of trying to believe and live out of our identity. And then there's these six rhythms of life that we teach that are always going on. Everybody lives in mm-hmm. them. We live in them. Jesus lived in them. Your neighbor lives in them. And so if we live our identity in light of the gospel, out through those rhythms, what did that look like? And then in each chapter, it's just pretty much all stories of experiences. Mm, cool. We also talk about, but sometimes it sucks. Like here's here's how it's hard, you know? Yeah. Here's why sometimes we felt like we got our butts handed to us, you know? Um, and then th- that was not a how-to book. That was like a get-to book. Like, guess what? As Christians, you get to live this life. Like you get to. And then a lot of people are saying, well, how, how would I do it? You know? So then I wrote small is big, slow is fast. And it was like kind of starting in the mirror <laughs> with me, what needs to shift and what do I need to, and how would I walk through all this? And then with my wife and kids and then a few friends at church and then some not yet believing neighbors. And so it's the whole small is big, slow is fast process of from the mirror forward to, to make disciples in community and, and then multiply those communities. What would that look like? Um, along the way, I wrote the gospel primer, which is teaching deeply in community. It's an eight week study on the gospel, but like, it's all experience. Like it's eight, seven days a week for eight weeks. You all do the same stuff in your like small group or mission community. There's an action day and there's a community day. So you can't, you know, there's journaling days, but every week there's an action day and there's a community day Nice. and it's been transformational. I mean, it's like, if, if, if I can point to any one thing that God blessed like crazy, that gospel primer is I mean, so many tens of thousands of people all over the planet using it today. And I'm like blown away by it, you know, but it's because the gospel is really good news and out of, and it teaches on our identity. By the way, I want to give our listeners uh, some identity and these rhythms training for free, an audio series later, if that's cool with you. Yeah, let's do it. But uh, so then, so then I wrote a book called Bigger Gospel about a year or so ago that really just talks about uh, this idea of that the gospel is not so small that it's just a ticket out of here. Like, so we're just mm. waiting to eject, yeah. but it actually, it transforms everything in life. And, 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 and it's the beginning of how we learn to speak. And like, like what I was saying earlier in gospel fluency, how would I lead someone to go, Hey, they're experiencing this in their marriage or in their life or doubts. Let's go to the first question of like, what do we know to be true about God? Let's just rehearse that. And what it does is it shifts our focus off of us and our circumstances and our very, very limited sovereignty. And it shifts it all back to who he is, what he's done and what's true of us. And so the book, Bigger Gospel, is, uh, is, is really that beginning of like, how would I grow in gospel fluency? That combined with the gospel primer. So that, yeah. yeah. And then we put out the podcast every week and, and I travel all over the world training and coaching. And <laughs> so that's what I get to do. I get to talk really about the good news of the gospel, lived out everyday experiences all the time. And I mentioned to you, we're doing like a, 
everyday disciple challenge coming up here. This will air after that. Maybe we'll do it again. Yeah. But it's like, I'm going to show people in four days, watch this. You're going to do some stuff you never thought you'd do. And you're going to be amazed at what God does because it's already true of you. And he promised it. So it's going to be really fun. Mm. I can't wait to start next Monday. I love that. That sounds amazing. All right. Well, friends, you can find uh, links to Caesar, his podcast, his website, um, and his books all at halfwaytherepodcast.com. It is um, th- always and then there. And free gift. I want to get as, the six audio series on identity and then these gospel rhythms. These yes. Yes. So um, go ahead and tell us about, about that gift. And if you have any last words, not last okay, words, so- we're not going to say last words. I'm yeah, not gonna you do that. Go to the site to get get all this again. But if they just want to send an email to now, the word now at one two three lifeschool.com. Okay. So that's the name would be now. Now at one two three lifeschool.com and just put the word gospel in the subject line, then all the digital magic in the background will send you that six audio set for free. And um and then you can get those and you can go a little deeper into this and you can take me to the gym with you or on vacation or something. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So that was email. Uh, and what did they have to put in the subject line? Gospel. Gospel in the, in the subject line. Email now at 123lifeschool.com. Yep. Perfect. Caesar, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. It's been a blast, Eric. Thank you, man. Anything I can do or if you get any crazy questions or feedback, I mean, you want to just pass them on. I'm happy <laughs> I'll forward to. them to you. I answer every email. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys. Hey, now you have a mandate, friends. Uh, send us some crazy email. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Caesar. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate that. If you've gotten this far, you are awesome. Thanks for listening to Caesar's story. If you enjoyed it, hey, hit me up on Twitter once again at Halfway There Pod and tell me what you liked. I'd love to hear that. And don't forget, you can always go to halfwaythereapodcast.com, hit that support button and support us on Patreon. Your support means everything and it keeps us running. Thank you so much. Friends, until next time, keep the faith. <laughs>